when the crowd wants to do something that isn't good, other people are looking for someone to speak up with the sanity that they can't, they don't have the courage to do so. All you have to do is be that man and people will follow you. If I could give you one message that could dramatically shift the direction of your life, I would tell you to visualize a world in which there was no judgment for the decisions you've made in the past, in which you weren't paralyzed by fear and you could make decisions that were in alignment with the life you desire to live. One in which you could speak only the truth of what exists on your heart. I would tell you to look at the life you're living now and reflect deeply on what you really wish could change. And then have you look down at the life you just created and the life you're living now. And I get real close and I look you in the eye, that type of look that says, this is too important to let pass. Your life is too important to let pass. And I'd lean in and with your full attention on me and those two life paths, I'd say, you choose. Welcome to the You Choose podcast. I'm your host, Billy Garson Jr. I'm a former division one and professional athlete turned men's mental health advocate. I'm a transformation coach, public speaker, and I'm the proud founder of the You Choose movement, which exists to equip young men with the tools and techniques to choose a life that is in alignment with their highest self. It is my greatest honor and privilege to be with you today. The young man who is in a period of great transition in his life, who's asking questions and seeking answers. And on this podcast, through a series of interviews with professional athletes, men's coaches, and self-help gurus, we aim to educate, equip, and inspire you to bridge the gap between where you are and where you aspire to be. So listen deeply and find yourself in the stories of those who've sat in your shoes and now walk in the areas in which you wish to walk. What is the son but an extension of the father? This fascinating question is what we're going to be exploring today as we dive deep into the complex father-son bond. For some of you, your father's your hero. For others, the villain. And for many, in moments, he plays both roles. And regardless of where you stand, your father has played a role in your life and you his. And today we will be bringing awareness to the how that exists in the gap. So sit tight, listen deeply, and reflect as you listen on how your relationship with your father is shaping how you show up today. This discussion will pave the way for change in how you navigate the relationships with all the men in your life, as well as how you choose to show up in your relationship with self moving forward. Today's guest is an author, speaker, coach, and podcaster. He's the CEO of The Dad Edge, which works to empower men to live and lead legendary lives, create legendary marriages, create epic connections with their kids, master their personal finances, optimize their health, and become a leader within their family. But more importantly than what he does, let's talk about who he is. Larry is on a daily mission of being the best father he can be to his four boys. Having experienced the effects of an absent father for his early upbringing, and then toxic father relationships for the remainder of his childhood, our guest today made a decision that his kids would know who their father was. 
And today we're gonna to venture down the path of understanding our fathers from the son's point of view. We're gonna explore how our father's behavior shapes our own, how to build deep relationships with all the men in our life and how we as sons and young men can begin to appreciate and understand what our fathers, uncles, grandfathers, and friends may be up against. So without further ado, Larry Agno, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to have you here. <laughs> uh I've been on a lot of podcasts that by far might be one of the coolest introductions I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. And I'm not saying it's because it's my introduction. It's the way you said everything. Oh, wow. Like I'm sitting here thinking like, dude, you, you, if you, you should be one of those guys who is the voice for people's audiobooks. <laughs> So like it Thank blew you. my freaking mind. Even the cadence that you said those things, I'm like, God bless. <laughs> it's just like so on point. I don't know what you're going to do for a living, man, but it's got to be something in, in Hollywood or something like that oh, I was appreciate freaking that. epic, man. I appreciate that. Well, my hope is that it can be podcasting and speaking. So yeah. <laughs> we'll see where that takes me. I'm in, I'm in the process at the moment, but I appreciate that greatly. Yeah. Um, Larry, I, I said this to you off air and I'm going to say it on air again. I'm fascinated by your world and I'm so excited for today's conversation. And the reason being is because I'm not a father. I'm a son. Right. And one day I have hopes to be a father. But right now I can only see the world from the perspective of a son. And you've been on both ends and you're now navigating the world as a father, having navigated the world as a son. And so this conversation fascinates me. And in order to give context to the audience, I know I shared briefly with you, with the audience in the, in the intro here, but I would love to hear from your perspective, just maybe a 30 second overview of how this world began for you. You had an absent father. You then had some toxic relationships with the father figures in your life. I want to hear it from your perspective. Sure. What I think might be really, really telling is if, um, I, so I just, um, I just inked a contract for my, my new book coming out this year, which by the way, will launch on September 6th of 2022. So it's going through, you know, the, the editing process right now, books all done. Um, and my, my publisher came back and said, Hey, you know, we need a description, you know, on the back of your book. It's like, so I'm, if this is on YouTube, I'm holding up Simon Sinek, start with why. And then there's a description on the back. And to be real honest, like I'm not very good at, at encapsulating a 50,000 word book, right? And, and I just did it real simple. Like, cause I broke the book up into four different sections, right? right? And so what I did was the description of the book, like I just basically told what the book was about. And I sent this over to the publisher and I sent it over to another friend of mine who I really consider to be one of the most knowledgeable and most authentic um, digital marketers I know. And I say the word digital marketing very carefully because what I mean by that is when you have a message and when you have, when you have something that is meaningful to you, a lot of times we don't know how to communicate that in our most authentic self and like literally be stripped completely and totally freaking naked for the world to see you for what you are. Right. It's, 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 and in his words, he's like, you're playing it way too safe by sharing what this book is about. In fact, if I didn't know you and I saw this book on the shelf and I read the description, I put the book back. He goes, but I know you, Wow. I know your heart and I know what you've been through. I know your entire story. 
you need to crank this volume from five to 10 and I'm going to help you articulate some words. And I, and I worked with them for 30 minutes and I came up with something that made me feel insanely uncomfortable. But after we were done with it, it was beautiful. So I'll share with you. I would love for you to share. Yeah. And it's just, a, it's just four sentences, but this is, this is the first two paragraphs of the description will be on the back of my book. Okay. Once in 18 years of marriage, my wife looked at me with disgust and disappointment. 12 years ago, I lost my patience with my son and I went from his hero to his monster. In that moment of anger, I became the very monster I always swore to protect my son against at all cost. And when I raised my hand to him, part of my soul died. There is no playbook for being a dad and the hard lessons can feel like a left hook to the jaw when you're in the throes of fatherhood. The hardest lessons that we learn are usually by experience and they usually come with very little warning. The goal for this book is to help you navigate through the peaks and valleys of fatherhood and marriage as they come to be the best, strongest, and happiest version of you. So that's how I started the book because that's how Dad Edge got started. It didn't start pretty. It didn't start with me having an epiphany of what to do and how to do it. It came from one of the worst, darkest moments of my life. And that was spanking my four-year-old son so hard that he hit the ground. Then picking him back up after realizing what I did. And he looked at me exactly like that. You're a monster. He was terrified of me. It's the first time I ever laid my hands on him and the last. And um, that was very hard. And it came from a culmination of years of things that happened. And it was in that moment that I was the worst version of me. Wow. Wow. Uh, that was longer than 30 seconds, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was longer, but it was beautiful and it was needed. Is this the son now that you post on your Instagram? We're, that we're training for a bodybuilding show? Yeah, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dare to touch him now because he's, he's 135 pounds of muscle and he's so wow. strong. He, when we wrestle, he, he, he can throw me. I'm 180 pounds. So I'm not <laughs> much more than him. He can throw me around pretty easily now. Wow. I love that. And I love yeah. that relationship that you've cultivated online from what I see. And I know you can often see things online and they encompass an entirely different perspective of what goes on and has gone behind the scenes. But I suppose I would love to know when you look back and reflect on that moment, how do you see your childhood and your upbringing playing a role in that one moment for you? I think that was, I don't think, I know that the most impactful experience of that was seeing the look on my son's face after that happened and me coming down to help him because I think he thought I was going to hit him again. And he was petrified. And it was in that moment, I saw that look. And that's, I say this a lot. I didn't see my son, I saw me. And that was a kick in the balls. Because I remember being on the receiving end of that many times growing up, like where I was freaking just terrified, right? Beatdowns were coming, um, alcohol and, you know, covered breath, breathing in your face as they're screaming and yelling and, you know, hits to the head, hits to the face, thrown over your bed. It was, uh, it was very surreal. And it, the funny thing is, is when I became a dad, I had a laundry list of things that I was not going to do. Like, and that was one of them. I was like, man, fatherhood sucked for me growing up. It certainly isn't going to suck for my kids. I'm going to, I'm going to be this man. And I had this laundry list. I was like, okay, I know all these things not to do. And that literally, I thought I was set. I was like, I know all these things not to do. So I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to do it right. 
what I found out really, really quickly as I weeded my way through the first six years of fatherhood was that having a laundry list of things of what not to do is no help really whatsoever. In fact, it's almost like you go to Lowe's to buy your brand new barbecue pit that you have to put together and you open up the instruction manual and it's like, here's all your tools, the nuts, the bolts, the pieces. Here's a hundred ways not to put this together. Best of luck. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no direction in that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that was that was my template, unfortunately. Wow. So you'd been given all the examples of what not to do and you'd never really experienced what to do, how to show up. I would say the majority, yeah. But, you know, if I'm being really real, like my grandfather was just an amazing part of my life growing up. And my grandfather was like literally the, the example. He was so good at, um, at teaching me by example of what it meant to be a good man, mm. to, to love your wife, um, to communicate, to be affectionate. Um, so I, I was able to, to at least view that. And I did spend a lot of time with my grandfather growing up. Beautiful. Beautiful. Have you, would you say you found it more difficult being a son or a father? Oh my gosh. So you mean, and you're talking about uh, my own experience, right? Your own experience. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, I'll answer that two ways. It was more difficult being a son because I had no control. Like my environment was my environment. I couldn't do much about it. So that, that part was difficult. Um, it was easier being a child though, because it was just me, right? Mm. I was the only one I had to worry about. Yeah. Fatherhood has been much more rewarding, but it's also, it's, it's fascinating that you even asked me this question um, because me and my 15 year old were talking about this last night. He's almost 16. Wow. And he was asking me, he's like, I know we've talked a lot about being a dad and he's like, I, he looks at me, he goes, I can't wait to be a dad. And I joke with him. I was like, well, don't be too much in a hurry. Okay. We don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be a grandpa before I'm 50. Number one, and I joke with him. He's dating a girl right now too. I'm like, you know, stay away from that. <laughs> but, but, uh, but I'm like, um, I was like, what are your thoughts? What are, what are the things that come to mind when you think about being a dad? He's like, well, I know it's, it's rewarding and I know it's hard. And I was like, well, tell me about both. And he's like, well, I, I see the joy that you have in it, but I also see it's hard for you. Like, yeah. I was like, and I just had like this really super deep thought and I, and I never articulated this to him. And I said, you know what the hardest thing about fatherhood is? And I'm not speaking for all fathers. I'm just speaking for me. I was like, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm probably speaking for all fathers. I was like, the hardest thing about fatherhood is not what happens outside of my mind and heart. It's not the external challenges. It's not this kid acting out, this kid not doing homework this, this happening or that happening or these consequences or this or the louder, it's annoying or defiance. I was like, you expect that stuff as a father, right? The hardest thing about being a father is here and here. And he's like, what do you mean by that? And I said, you know what? This is actually the first time I've ever been talking about this in this way. I was like, cause I've never talked to a 15 year old about this. I was like, but it, you've got like the, you've got two voices in your mind at all times one that builds you up and one's a, one that bullies you around. And when it comes to fatherhood, many of us don't know what the right next thing is. And it's because we don't know the right next thing. We beat ourselves up for not knowing the next right thing. And then we beat ourselves up for not knowing the right next thing. 
if that makes any sense. Because in a way, we we do a lot of shooting on ourselves. I should know what to do. What, what's wrong with me that I don't? Right. Yeah. It's this constant conversation that you always have to be in front of. Otherwise, it'll overtake you. Yeah. That steals your joy from it if you allow it. Yeah. And that is by far the hardest thing. I was like, I want you to imagine this. I was like, I want you to imagine that you don't have a coach when you're running track because he runs track. He's a sprinter. And I was like, and you're always getting sort of second, third, fourth, fifth, right? But you don't know the reason why you're not getting faster and you just keep guessing at it. And then after guessing at it and it's not successful, then you start to wonder like, well, am I even cut out to be a runner? Like if I can't get, if I can't secure those top spots or I'm not the best, like maybe I'm just not built for this. And you really start to self-sabotage and beat yourself up. And then sometimes what happens is you just sort of quit. I was like, but then you got these coaches and like, Hey man, you know, you need to keep your arms here. You need to make sure that you're running upright. You need to make sure you're really digging the spikes and run on your toes. And when you start to kick, this is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And then you have a clear map of like, Oh, so that's what's missing. Okay. So I'm going to go do that. But when you're a dad and you don't have that and, 99% 99% of the world doesn't, you tend to feel like that, that runner that doesn't have the direction and you start to question things. And I was like, that, that's probably the hardest part of being a dad. I think this is a topic that a lot of sons face as well, which is the topic of feeling oh, like yeah. we have to have everything figured out. And I have no doubt that that heightens as you become a father because you're now responsible for something more than just you. Yeah. And this brings me to a topic that I'm so excited to to touch on. And and that is that topic of not letting our walls down because we feel as though we have to be perfect. I want to hear your perspective on that as a father and how you approach that with your son, the ad, and with all your sons and maybe your wife as well, the admittance of the fact that you don't have it figured out and that's okay. Well, first of all, I think um, that you're touching on another conversation that I actually had with my son uh, not too terribly long ago. And what I mean by that is um, I had a, so we talked about, it was another conversation with the same kid, actually. Now I'm thinking about it. He's like, what's it like being a dad? And I was like, you want to know? He's like, yeah. He's like, you really want to know? Like, yeah. I was like, what does it feel like for you on your first day of school? And he's like a little lost, not really sure what classroom I'm supposed to go to. I know the school and I've been a student, but I'm unsure of what's going to happen. What are my teachers going to be like? It's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. I was like, a lot of fatherhood is that. And he kind of looked at me like, what? Cause your kids, I think, even though they know you're human, they think you know everything or the way we operate, they're like, oh, well, that's just the way, yeah, they know everything. So yeah, we're we're doing this. And I always tell them, I'm like, let me give you an example. I have, you're one of four boys. You're my oldest. And right now you're 15 months and I'm 15 years old and three months. Today's my first day raising a 15 year old in three months. And tomorrow will be my first day raising a son who's 15 years old in 91 days. Every day is new. Um, Some of the things happen and you're prepared for them and some things you're not. I was like, but one thing I can tell you is as soon when you're a father, a lot of times your life is as soon as you have a handle on whatever stage your kids are at and you've got it, 
and you're ready for it and you know how to operate, they've just moved to the next and you're, you're a bit lost again. Yeah. And he's like, and I was like, and I make, I was like, Ethan, I make so many mistakes a day. And I have, I could literally probably fill up an entire wall of my office writing all the mistakes that I've made. And I was like, but I also know that I'm human. And I was like, and one thing that you're, you're going to realize as you get older is your dad was human. And to be honest, I was like, you're going to grow up with your own baggage of crap that I did to you. You will. No, 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 no. Like, Like you're a great dad. I was like, I appreciate you saying that. I was like, but I'm an idiot sometimes. I truly am. I was yeah. like, and it's really hard as a father when you, you when you just asked about perfection because it's something that you want to execute flawlessly. And you also want to enjoy the journey, right? As a father. And when you're not doing that, like, listen, when you're at your job, like it's easy to measure. Like, oh, here's my annual review. Here's all the things I'm doing great. Here's opportunities to improve. Yeah. When it comes to your health, Here's my body weight. Here's my body fat. Here's my blood work. This is where I'm at. Easy to measure. This is where I want to go. Same thing with your finances. Here's much money in the bank. Here's how much I make. Here's where I want to be in five years. Boom. There's the formula. Just go do it. With fatherhood, it's dynamic. You know, it's hard to measure. It's hard to bob and weave. It's hard to know if you're even doing a good job, right? So um, those are the challenges that that reside in that, right? And the, and you have to really accept there is no perf- perfection. There's yeah. only progress. And for any man or son or daughter of a, of, a, of, a, of a man, knowing that your father is probably doing the best he can with what he has. And also knowing that it is not, it's not a clean ride. Yeah, Man, you get your hands dirty. You get yeah. beat up, you get knocked down and you also get you also have feelings where the team is lifting you on their shoulders and like, dude, freaking awesome play, man. Clutch, right? Yeah. It's all of that. Yeah. I love that. And I think from my perspective, I'm one of four. I'm the eldest of four as well. Nice. So I, I'm, I, that's why I love the dynamic you have going on with, with your eldest son at the moment. Um, my father, I was very fortunate in the respect that my father was there and he's always been there. And he's always done the absolute best he can for me to provide opportunity, to send me to some of the nicest schools and to be there as a loving dad. And as you shared there, there are a lot of things through his experiences that I've watched, observed and listened to that I look at that I don't want to take on as a man. And I think that's okay. And that's why I love this conversation because I feel like observing and I have so much more empathy now for my dad as I've aged and I'm like, he isn't perfect and he is a human and all of these different things. But as I've began to navigate this relationship with my dad, and I'm speaking from a son's perspective here, for a long time, I felt a level of guilt for having and being angry at him in moments and being frustrated at him in moments. And that level of guilt existed because of all the beautiful things he did. And I suppose one of my questions for you is how do you navigate the relationship with your son where you know that there's a lot of things that you've shown him or done or shown up as that are going to affect him for positive or for negative. And he will carry all of that baggage. And how do you show up in a relationship with that knowing? I feel like for so many of us, that causes us to want to hide. We want to hide because we don't want to show up with all of us. <laughs> what I'm hearing from you is 
your son asks you questions. I have never, personally, this is a vulnerable, vulnerable moment for me. I have never asked my dad those questions that your son's asking you. And I don't think many men have. And at the same time, we all crave that type of relationship. How have you cultivated that? Dude, I, let, me, let me just take a side note here. <clears throat> um, I've got almost 900 podcasts under my own belt with my own dad edge. Um, and that's not counting probably. I mean, I, I would say to date, maybe I've been on 2,500 different podcast interviews, right? Um, you're 23 years old? Yes. Has anyone ever told you that you are an old soul? And I mean that as a compliment. Thank you. Um, I've been getting it a little bit more recently as I've started to do this work. I don't know what you do outside of this. I've never met a 23-year-old person that can communicate and articulate like you can. Like, dude, the, oh, wow. the, the, some of the things you're saying, like I'm sitting over here listening to you and my eyes are watering up. I'm like, cause I'm sitting, and the reason for that is cause I'm viewing you as probably what my son is going to be like when he's 23. And I feel like I'm almost having a conversation with what my son is probably going to turn out to be. He's the oldest, <laughs> the one I'm re referencing. He's my oldest of four. Wow. And, um, the questions that you're asking and the, the experiences with your own dad is making me really realize the impact of my boys when they're in their twenties. Sorry. <laughs> that was a uh, very unexpected man. Um, I don't, uh, I don't get very emotional on podcasts like this, but man, this one's really hitting me. Um, and in, in very good ways. Um, I mean, everything I said is a compliment. Well, thank you. And I want to let you know you're welcomed. Yeah. You're welcomed. I think this is beautiful. Um, to answer your question, um, we we live by a quote in this in this house, and that quote is: "Your honesty and ownership is celebrated and not punished." And that goes for us too. What I mean by that is, me as their father, my wife Jessica as their mother. No one is immune to mistakes in this home, and no one is immune to ownership in this home. And we celebrate it and we don't guilt, shame, blame, or pain when people come clean with something. And I've had experience. I have felt the pain of, I'm your mom. You are my son. I'm right. You're wrong. And if you think I'm wrong, I'm right because I'm your mom. Even though there were times that I was, I, I, as a kid, I knew that some of the things that were happening to me and were wrong. But I had to, I was forced, you know, or it was, it was beat into me that this is right and you are wrong. And my mom never apologized about anything, you know, even if there was something severe and the people and the men she was dating and marrying. I can tell you one thing that has served me really, really well. And it's like, hey, I'm not going to do that. And that's one thing, like when you focus on things you're not going to do, that's one thing that has served me very well. Meaning if I make a mistake, which I make a lot of them, um, I go to my kids and I ask for their forgiveness. And sometimes it's minor and sometimes it's major. Sometimes it's like, I, you know, spoke to them in a, in a, in, in anger. Right. And I maybe, and it was never anything crazy abusive or anything like that, but I would say things in, in a, in a voice range that like scared the crap out of them for lack of a better word. Right. Or I said things like, you know, like what's wrong with you? 
like, why, what were you thinking? You know, or like, just, you know, like, what, are you an idiot? Like sometimes I've said that in the past. Right. And you say that and you're like, oh, shit. Oh, God, I can't, I shouldn't have said that. Right? Yeah. But you're saying it in anger. And then I'll go back. I always go back. My kids, if all of them were in here, they'll be like, does dad apologize? <laughs> yeah, my dad does apologize. And it's because I go to them. I'm like, you know what? I'm not saying what you did was right. I think we both know whatever you did was wrong. How I handled it, though, was wrong. I spoke to you in a way that was very demeaning and condescending. I even said this, Right? And I should never have said that. You don't deserve to be spoken to like that. And my hope is, is that you don't speak to somebody like that. And someone who speaks to you like that, you don't tolerate that. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a time and a place where I have to lay down discipline, right? And there's consequences and there's going to be times of anger. But I, I had no reason to talk. There was no reason for me to talk to you like that. And I'm really sorry. And I do apologize. You know, and do you forgive me, right? And do you want to talk to me about it? Do you have questions about it? Like, do you want to throw some anger back at me on how that made you feel? Like, I'm ready for it. And what I have found is, is that my kids are incredibly resilient. Like, they're like, hey, man, like, it's okay. Like, you were angry. I get angry too, right? Mm. Here's the cool thing that I've noticed is that um, my kids are very good at owning their ownership as well. Like, they'll come to me with be like, hey, I did this. Or, hey, I said this. Or, I'm sorry. So I've noticed that that's been something that's been therapeutic for me to share with them, yeah. my apology, but it's also been very contagious because they do the same. First and foremost, that level of vulnerability is so deeply admired from my perspective and from every young man who I can speak for in this moment who wishes they could go there who wishes they could go there. And there's been so many times in my life where I have felt the urge to want to release and cry and let out. And there's something that has stopped me. And so I admire that so much. And, and thank you for the kind words that you shared there as well. Um, this topic opens up a whole nother kind of worms for me in a beautiful way, because I look at being a son and also reflecting on fatherhood from the people who have not only my father, but those who have emulated father figures for me in my life. And it's almost like the expectation of perfection without the willingness to apologize is what causes the difficult dynamic. And what you're suggesting here is that there is no expectation to be perfect, but an expectation that when you know you're wrong, you will accept that you're wrong. And that allows for a much more beautiful dynamic saying that. It's not as easy as it sounds. And I want to pick your brain and really hear your perspective on how much courage did it take for you to be willing to be that vulnerable? And I don't mean crying. I mean being willing to accept, which has been one of the toughest things for me. And I know it's for so many men as well. Accept that you were wrong and go back and admit that. To your kids, right? To your kids. Yeah. I think that there's this part of men that when you're a father, it's a very humbling experience a lot. In other words, you know, it's the one part of our life, you know, like if you want to go be an electrician, you go to electrician school and then you're trained and then you're, you're an apprentice and then you move on, you know, you move up the ranks. Mm -hmm. For parenting, there isn't that. Um, so it's a humbling experience anyway. But um, what I've noticed is the first few times that I did it, it felt very awkward to me. Cause I'm like, if I'm 
doing this, if I'm apologizing, then maybe my kids won't take me seriously. Hmm. Like maybe, maybe I'm setting the bar that their dad is weak. Right. And they're going to run crazy. Like I don't, they're, they're not going to believe buy into any discipline that I throw down. And maybe the next time I get upset, they won't even take me seriously. They'll be looking for the things that I need to apologize for. What I've noticed <clears throat> with my experience, I'm not speaking for others, is all that was complete BS. Um, in fact, it did nothing more than actually strengthen the relationship. And then it also, you know, it, it added more crowd, credibility to our relationship and more safety to our relationship. And even in times where I would get upset the next time, right? Or I would get yeah. angry at something. I would, I, I always had those gut checks. I had my own guardrails that are like, Hey, I set this example that this is not the way I operate. I apologize about it last time. Yeah. So therefore the next time I'm in that position, I'm well aware of those guardrails. And what I can tell you is that apologizing to my kids for poor behavior on my part has, has diminished over the years. And I think a lot of it has diminished over the years is because I've learned from being humble and apologizing and asking for forgiveness. And therefore those guardrails just get stronger and I know that they're there. So that's my experience with it. Wow. Wow. And how long did that take? Oh my God. It's a, it's a lifelong study. It wasn't like you woke up and be like, <laughs> Oh, I finally got it. Um, but I, I will say you, it's, it's a, it's kind of like a doctor, right? Doctors will never say that they've got everything down to a science. That's why they call it a practice. Yeah. So I would say the practice has gotten stronger through experience. Um, it's not flawless or perfect, but I would say it's gotten, it's gotten really good. I'll yes. say that. Beautiful. I love it. I want to circle back here because it's easy to say that the dad holds all the responsibility in his relationship with his son. And I'm going to be radically honest and say that for a long time, I believed that. And because my relationship at times has felt as though we've butted heads and at other times felt as though I've, we've separated and not been as close as maybe we could have, I've fallen short in taking responsibility for my part of the relationship as a young man. And because of that, and maybe this is a personal question, but I think will hopefully apply to so many of the guys listening. What's my role in the relationship with my dad? Wow. I've never, to be honest, I've never really thought of that. Uh, I think, gosh, a son's role. I think it's really to... Hmm. I think it's really, it's, man, that's such a good question. And I'm pausing on it because I've, I've never actually been asked that. A son's role. I think a son's role is to, is to do life with his dad, you know, to, to, and, and not always, I'm not saying like, cause you know, when, I mean, I've got a 14 year old right now who he was the one that I actually spanked who started this whole thing. Mm. You know, he's really, you know, he's really spending a lot of time with his friends, right? Which is great. That's what he should be doing. And, you know, we see him really starting to embrace some of his independence. And right now that needs to be a lot of his role. And I think also some of his role too is to make sure that he's still pulling his weight at the house. He is spending time with his family a little, you know, not as much, of course. Yeah. Uh, but, but to make sure that there is a balance, a balance there. I also think it's, um, I think it's a son's role to also be able to ask really good questions. 
Like mm-hmm. I, I love the, my, my 15 year old in particular, he's a very deep thinker. He reminds me a lot of you actually. And he asks amazing questions. Like he's just genuinely curious individual. And I love that because it tells me he's wanting to, he's eager to learn and he's very curious about how to operate in certain situations and just life in general. Yeah. And I think it's really cool to tap into the, those types of questions with your dad because it also serves the father too. It serves the dad because it gets him thinking yeah. about his life and how he's operating. You know, when I have to articulate questions that my, and just examples that I've given already, uh, I, I have to really be a deep thinker yeah. and really start to like think about things differently. And it's because it's been the role he's playing in my life. Yeah. I love that. For a first time answer, that was, <laughs> that was phenomenal. Um, again, that takes a level of vulnerability for a son to ask a dad a question like that. Yep. And I've noticed that. And that's something that really fascinates me about the relationship you're describing here with, with your son is that he, he feels comfortable asking you those questions. How do you think you've cultivated a safe space for him to feel comfortable? One of the skill sets that I teach and I had to learn and I, had, I didn't always have this skill is it's called creating an environment of psychological safety. In other words, psychological safety is where you can bring a question, an idea or a situation to somebody else without, without the fear of judgment, guilt, shame, blame, or pain. In other words, like you, you in particular, Billy, like I can tell, you've probably been told multiple times, I don't know what it is about you, but I feel like I can tell you just about anything. You've been told that? A few times, yeah. A few times, yeah. There's good reason for that. And that's because uh, you probably naturally, you do some of the natural things of developing an environment of psychological safety where people feel good telling you. Like the people probably walked away from you being like, I can't believe I, I just told him that, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, mean, I have to admit, like in certain relationships with, with women, that has been, <laughs> that has been something they've said is I, I don't know. And with some of the work I think I do with, with men as well, but, uh, yeah. And, and I haven't been able to put my finger on, on what that is. Let me, let me share some things with you and let me know if these hit. Okay. Okay. Um, so creating an environment of psychological safety. First of all, what I'll do is, I'll, and by the way, it doesn't matter how old you are listening to this show, what I'm about ready to share with you will be gold for any relationship that you have, whether it's your girlfriend, whether it's your boyfriend, whether it's your kid your brother, your mom, your dad, doesn't matter. Developing an environment of psychological safety has a lot to do with inviting the person to be their most unapologetically authentic selves and that you have to have the emotional IQ to be ready for whatever comes your way. I call it being vigilant like a Navy SEAL, like, right? Mm -hmm. Because the Navy SEAL is always vigilant for the danger, right? And they're always... If you notice anything about Navy SEALs, they're always they're usually calm. Yeah. It's one of their money cards. They can stay calm in chaos and still think logically. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't necessarily they're they're taught not to react with a crap ton of emotion and then make poor decisions based on emotion. That's one of the things that they learn. So, one of the skill sets is I like to actually produce that. In other words, like I I'm always vigilant that my kids could tell me anything at any time. And I've heard some things, man. Yeah. Like, you know, but I also like to ask them three questions every day. And I'll give you the psychology behind them. Most people are programmed to say, how was your day? Terrible question. Because you get a one word answer. Crazy, fine, good, busy, whatever. Yeah. It's a default question that's going to get you a default answer. So when you ask somebody, tell me about 
the most amazing part of your day. Tell me about something that you won at today. Tell me something that made you laugh today. Tell me something that you, you, uh, you're proud of today. Mm. It doesn't matter how you phrase that first question. The, what that does is you're training somebody to get into a state of gratitude and you're connecting with them because people love to talk about things that, that are good. And they're like, Oh my gosh, like I, I, uh, I, I actually PR'd in my 100 meter dash today, which my son has been PRing for the past couple of weeks, getting ready for his track season. I'm like, dude, that's amazing. What was the PR? It was 3.79, man. I, it was, it was point, you know, 0.09 and what I did two days ago. I was like, dude, that's awesome, man. Right. Then you celebrate that. It's a high point moment. Um, and then they're smiling, right? So they feel good about the connection already. Tell me something you failed at today. That was a little harder, mm-hmm. you know, and then what you're doing though. And, and I always follow up with, what'd you fail at today? What'd you learn from it? Here's the thing. If you're, and you can probably relate to this. I know growing up, one of the worst things that I, one of the, the it was like a feeling in the pit of my stomach. If I had to tell my parents, something I did bad at test, poor performance on the baseball field. Um, I missed this missing assignment, got a D on the test, whatever it is. Yeah. And that is a hard thing to do. And you're dreading that. But the way I, we position failure in this home is fail fast, learn fast. Like we love failure. Like we love mistakes because then we get to talk about them. What'd you learn? Yeah. You know, Hey, sometimes there's, there's a little bit of pain involved, especially if they know what they did wasn't right. But for the most part, it's like, hey, what, what would you do different? Yeah. So, I get, so when, you ha- when you open that door, that Pandora's box to your kids of being able to say, what'd you fail at? It's all in how you respond. Mm-hmm. So like, for instance, yeah. Uh, remember the science test I told you about the other day? Like, yeah, I got a D on it. Now, me being a father, there's that part of me that's like, dude, freaking told you to get off your phone, man. Yeah. I told you to study more. You know, you procrastinated. You did this. You did this. And it's like, I want to go into lecture mode. That's where mm. I want to go. But here's where I go instead. I'm like, oh, tell me more. I stay away from the word why, because why will actually de-escalate psychological safety. Why is a three-letter word that puts somebody in the defense? Why'd you send that email? I don't know. Like, I, But if you say, hey, I saw that email. Tell me why you sent it. I saw that email. Tell me about that. It's, it's an invite versus accusatory. So I'll be like, oh, well, tell me about that. Yeah, you know, there was, there were some questions on the test I really wasn't prepared for, you know, and I'm like, okay, which questions? Uh, well, we were supposed to study qu- chapters one through six. I, and I only went to four. I kind of, neglect- I thought I knew everything in chapter five and six, but I just, you know, like, okay, well, sounds like uh, you learned a few things just from that experience alone. Tell, tell me what you learned. Well, if I were to do it over again, I probably would study all the chapters. I'm like, yeah, I, that's a really good point. Well, let me ask you this. When's your next test? It's next Friday. Okay. Well, based on the information that you've told me and some of the things you've, you've learned just by experience, what would you do different? And I'd be like, man, I'd study everything. Okay. Um, you'd study everything. So if you study everything, how much time do you think you'll need? When do you want to study? I'm going to study Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Okay. How can I best support you? What feels right to you? Mm-hmm. And I use that word, what feels right. Cause, cause kids, young men, we're feeling people, especially when you're in the midst of your father, what feels right to you? Not what do you think is right? What do you, what feels right to you? Feels right. And they'll be like, I think if you would just check in on me and maybe if I need it, could you quiz me, you know, on Wednesday night 
or maybe just give me a refresh. Maybe get up early with me and go through some flashcards with me or whatever I need. Yeah, man, of course I got you. Let's do it. And I was like, and Hey, by the way, great learnings, right? Mm. Now I didn't have to lecture a thing. I remained calm. I, rem- I remained vigilant. There's a part of me, of course, that I want to be like, I told you so. Yeah. But I'm not going to do that because as soon as I start saying, why did that happen? I told you not to do this. It doesn't matter the next thing that comes out of my mouth. He's thinking like, God bless. I ain't telling you anything anymore. Yeah. Right. And I didn't have to lecture. He came up with the solution. And when people mm. have, when, when people are the, are the creator of the solution, they're hundred X more likely to execute upon that solution. Now, mm. if I were to lecture him, guilt him, and then tell him to go do that, the chances of him doing that minimal. Yeah. And he's not even going to feel good about it. In fact, he's probably going to be like, this sucks. I ain't telling my dad crap anymore. I just get punished. Yeah. Now, and I will say this, you know, creating an environment of psychological safety is not the absence of consequences. It's not, and it's not the absence of discipline. And a lot of times the natural consequences are there. Because yeah. like sometimes all I have to say is like, hey man, like what happens if you, what happens if you get an F in this class? Well, I get an F for the quarter. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, what happens if you get an F for the year? Well, then I probably have to go to summer school. Yeah, I know. And summer school, we got a lot of cool things planned this year. If you're in summer school, what do you think is going to happen? Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, it was like, we're all going to be at the pool. We're going to be hanging out. We're going to be, we already got six flags planned. Like, I don't know how we're going to make that happen if you're in summer school, at least not you being involved. Yeah. And suddenly they're like, that's a good point. I ain't doing summer school. <laughs> You know, I don't have to warn them because the natural consequences are usually sitting right there. We just have to help them identify it. It's almost like you've been able to create an environment where you are able to discipline and remain on the side of your son. Yes. Which is so uncommon. Yeah. There there are some times, um, and I'll give you an example. My 14-year-old shoplifted for the first time and the only time, hopefully, last summer. Uh, The way I went about that was... If you got time, I'm happy to share the story with you. I've got time and I'd love to hear it. Okay, cool. Um, So I have to admit, I'm blessed. I've I've got pretty good kids. Um, I got kids that make mistakes. I got kids that make big mistakes sometimes. Um, My 14-year-old, he's the one that I spanked. And here's also where I can tell you the identify, the the dangers of, 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 of labeling your kids or seeing them through the lens where you think that you see all of them, but you actually don't. You're actually really freaking blind. So um, I look at my 14-year-old Mason and I tell him this all the time. I was like, I used to hate kids like you. And I say that jokingly, lovingly. I'm like, you used to hate kids like you, man. It's like, why? And I'm like, you are a great looking kid. You got like this, you've got like this superhero jawline. You literally look like Superman. You've got a body like Superman. Like you're 14. You got veins popping out of your arms. You're muscular. You're humble. You're a great football player. You have girls that just stare at you constantly. You make good grades without studying. I hated kids like you. I was a fat kid, no athletic ability, made D's and C's, no matter how much I studied. Girls thought I was gross. I was fat. I had man boobs. Like I was literally the polar opposite of you. So the way I view his life, and I'm not even kidding, Billy, this kid doesn't have a problem in the world. Mm. He's got everything figured out and he's, he just does it, right? And there's a danger in that because I put him on a higher pedestal than what's actually operating in his life. So I actually... Uh, he was hanging out with a new friend last summer. I got a 
call from a good friend of mine who's also his football coach and has been for the past five years. And I didn't answer the phone. And he texted me, this is urgent. It's about Mason. Call me. So I was actually facil- I was actually working with a, I was facilitating one of our masterminds. And I told one of the other guys, I was like, hey man, you got to take over. I got to get this call. So he took over. I called him like, hey man, what's up? He's like, hey dude. He goes, have you seen Facebook today? Like, and I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, why? And he's like, well, are you following this store? Like that's literally right street from us. And it's a privately owned store. I'm like, no, I don't follow it. He's like, well, the owner just blasted um, a social media post of a video surveillance screenshot. And I'm pretty, he's like, I can't see the kids' faces, but I'm pretty sure one of, one of the two of them is Mason. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, and the post said, if anybody can identify these, these two boys, um, please call me or tell their parents they can deal with the police. And I'm like, what is going on? So I, um, I went up to my son and we have like this, you know, your ownership and your ownership is celebrated here, right? Ownership and honesty is celebrated, not punished. Yeah. And I went to him and I said, Mason, I go, I just got a phone call from Vito, who's his coach. He looks up to big time. And I was like, um, apparently I just saw this post that he alerted me to. This is you. I can tell it's you. He had his head, his hat was down and all this. Um, and he, I was like, is there a reason this guy put this post up? Did you steal something? He's like, no. I was like, Mason, you know my rule here? I was like, you need to be really honest with me. Like, did you steal something? Or did, did this other kid you were with, did he do it? And he was only hanging out with him for like a month. He was like, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't steal anything. And I'm like, I'm going to give you one more chance and then I'm going to call the owner and I'm going to get the story either way. So I'm really hoping you just come clean with me if you did something wrong. No, I didn't. Like, okay, take your word for it. I called the owner. They're like, yeah, you know, your son stole. And I'm like, my son, both? And they're like, yep. The kid, the kid he was with did it first. And then you see in the video, the kid was in his ear for probably three or four minutes. And finally your son caved and put something in his pocket. And I'm like, holy crap. I went to my son and I got nose to nose, toes to toes. It was not an environment of psychological safety. This one was serious. And I go, is there anything you want to change your story on? And I, yeah, I was yelling and I was pointing my finger in my face and I'd never say the F word to my kids. And I was like, so help me God, if you fucking lie to me, like you are never going to see the light of day for at least 90 days. Do you understand me? And I, I scared the shit out of him. I'm not going to lie. And he's like, okay, I did. And I'm like, get in the car. We're going up there right now. And we're going to make this right. Walk in there. The guy who owned the store was an ex-cop, ex-cop for 30 years. And we went in there and I said, and I, I put the car in park and I said, Mason, the guy who owns the store is an ex-cop. I don't know what he's going to do to you, but I'm not going to go to your defense you're going to have to feel whatever punishment's coming your way. I don't know. This guy might press charges. You might have to do community service. I don't know, but you're going to do whatever it is. And I said, the other thing too, is you're going to pay for this item. And then you're going to offer to do work at this guy's store for free. I was like, that's my rule. We go in there looking at the video surveillance and there's nothing ever so devastating as seeing your kid, like literally take an item and put it in his pocket. And I just looked at him and I just said, I am insanely disappointed insanely disappointed. I said, get your money out, pay this man. I was like, sir, whatever it is you want to do, 
I'm on board. You want to press charges, press charges. You want to put this kid to work in yard work. You want weeds pulled, whatever. And he laughed and he goes, it's not necessary. He goes, listen, and he was talking to both of us. He goes, I've been a cop for 30 years. And he goes, son, I know a bad kid and I know a good kid when I see one. The kid you were with, I can guarantee that kid is not good for you. He had bad written all over him. He's like, you, you come across to me as a good kid who made a mistake. He goes, if I could give you any advice, I don't know how long you've been hanging out with this kid for. He goes, be, be very cognizant of the people you hang with because you are the average of the five you hang with. And if he's doing bad, you're going to do bad. It just happens. And he goes, even if you didn't, you're still in good company and it doesn't matter. Company is guilt. So we got in the car and I freaking railed him. And I was like, you will not have your phone. You will not have friends. You have homework. That's your life for the next 90 days. And I just shut it down. Mm-hmm. And he was so upset. And then this is what happens as a father, right? You react sometimes. And then I started thinking, why did this even happen? How did this happen? What am, what am I not seeing here? Is there other things that are at play? And I know I'm going along with this, but there's a really big reason why. I love it. Keep going. Well, I, I think some parents need to parents need to hear this or people need to hear this because sometimes how you view somebody is not necessarily what's going on. It's not real. It's your perception. Right. So I went downstairs. I brought him upstairs and I said, let's go for a soda and talk. And he was like, it was just shame and guilt. He's like, okay. And I go, Mason, we got a soda and we're sitting there in the parking lot. I'm like, Mason, I don't understand this, man. You never came across to me as a kid who would do this. And why did you do this? Yeah. And he's like, and this is what he said. And it, it makes me a bit emotional. He goes, I don't know, dad. He goes, I guess I did it because I didn't want to lose a friend. I go, Mason, <laughs> I go, you're like one of the most popular kids I know, dude. I was like, you got friends all the time. I was like, you have a f- whole football team. You've been playing football with for five years. You got all these friends on the football team. And he looks at me, he goes, do I? And I, and I, in my mind, like he's one of the best players on that team. He's on the offensive line. He makes clutch plays. He plays the whole game. He plays offense and defense. Like I'm sitting there thinking like, dude, this guy's a freaking hero on this team. Right. And he goes, do I dad? Do I have friends on the football team? I'm like, yeah. He goes, dad, how often do you see me play with friends on the football team outside of practice and games? And I'm like, actually, Never. He's like, yeah. He goes, I do my job. He goes, I talk to people on the sidelines. But if you really look at the football team, it's like five clicks of kids. And I'm not a part of any of them. And I was like, holy crap. I was like, he's right. I know exactly who the clicks are. And he's like, dad, he goes, I've lost four friends in six months. I was like, what what do you mean? He's like, well, you remember so-and-so and and I'm not going to name names. He's like, so-and-so, both of them moved. They used to come to my house. They used to come to the house every day. You see them every day. They moved. He's like, and then I started hanging with so-and-so and then he got into some bad stuff and I basically X'd him out of my life. And then what's his name? I'm not going to name names. He, he was coming by and then he got into bad stuff. I want nothing to do with it. He's like, I really found myself with no one to hang out with. He goes, and when this kid came around and we started hanging out, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like I have a friend again. And everything he was saying was dead accurate. And he goes, dad, when he was telling me to do that, I knew it was wrong. 
I was so afraid. And he's like, I didn't even know this at the time, but now that I'm thinking about it, this is, I know this is what was happening. If I told him no, what if he was going to leave too? And dude, that freaking hit me so hard. And I was like, holy crap. Because, you know, I grew up with not a whole lot of friends. Like I was like the polar opposite of him. So I always viewed him as like this, like superstar. And when I saw that super authentic, vulnerable kid who's been hurt and probably feels left out, no matter how great he plays on that football team, my heart freaking bled for him. And I was like, you know what? You're right on every single thing that you said. And I was like, and, and here's what we're going to do. I am not going to punish you. I'm not going to take your social circle away from you because that will only do more damage. I was like, but here's where I was like, give me a little bit to think of some things and we'll come back to it. So I came back to him with this. I was like, look, I think I have a balance here. It's summertime. I want you up by 9 a.m. every morning. Eat breakfast, get ready for the day from 9 to 10. From 10 to 11, I want you to do some sort of exercise. doesn't matter what it is. You can walk the dog, just walk the dog every day. And then from 11 until the time you get done, could be 12, could be one, doesn't matter. I'm going to give you three identified chores that you're going to do. And then after those chores are complete, you can play with your friends from till 5 p.m. And then you come home for dinner. And then either after dinner, you can go back out or you go to football practice. And I was like, but I want you to bookend the days with gratitude in the morning. I want you to write down things, you, two, three things you're grateful for. And at the end of the day, three, thing, three good things that happened. And we're going to talk every day. And we did that for six weeks. Six weeks. And it was amazing. The kid just freaking flourished. And the last thing, the last evolution of that experience was I took him to the police station. He didn't know it. I pulled up to the police station. I, got, I said, I have one more thing that we're going to end this whole thing on. And I pulled up to the police station. He's like, what are we doing? Am I going to spend 24 hours here? I was like, no. I was like, you're going to talk to a cop. I don't know what cop. I haven't called. I was like, but I'm going to see if they're going to talk to you. He's like, about what? I was like, I just want you to hear from a law enforcement person, like their view on this. Sat down with this cop. And this cop looked at Mason and he's like, everything the cop told you, the one you stole from is true. He's like, and he looked at Mason and he goes, son, he goes, I'm looking at you though. You come across to me as, as, as a, from just from your physique alone, a leader, a powerful voice for other people that don't have one. He's like, and, he, and this is raw in the story. He goes, son, from this moment on, identify with that. You are that. When the crowd wants to do something that isn't good, other people are looking for someone to speak up with the sanity that they can't, they don't have the courage to do so. All you have to do is be that man and people will follow you just by your aesthetics alone and just by what you stand for. And dude, that was eight months ago. I've seen Mason over and over and over execute upon that direction. And people have followed him every time. I, he had a friend of his that offered him a vape. And Mason's like, yeah, sounds great. I'll take a hit. And he threw it in the woods as far as it could go. And this kid was pissed. He's like, don't ever offer me that again. He's like, and you shouldn't be doing this either. So things like that, I'm like, hell yeah. Like that was a dark time. And here's the thing is his father. Had I put him in a 90 day prison where he couldn't see the light of day, that would have unraveled that kid. Right. Instead, we did something that served him. So I know that was a long story, but I, 
I, I think it was probably appropriate for the question. It was a beautiful story. And thank you for sharing, um, again, the vulnerable truth and the honest truth. And to be honest, I was getting emotional myself in part of it from this may be a unique experience for you because I'm thinking in your son's perspective here right. more so than yours. Can I ask, Yeah, what is your perspective? I'm, I'm, I'm really genuinely curious. I relate heavily to your son. My entire life, I was the best athlete on every team I played. I played soccer and I ended up playing professional soccer for a few years until recently I tore my ACL about six months ago, playing professionally first game of the season. And I wasn't necessarily a very good looking kid. When I was younger, I had a lot of acne all over my face. I was really small. But I grew up in a very wealthy family. And I grew up in a background where I was sent to the nicest schools, taken on the nicest vacations, lived in the nicest houses. And I was an incredible soccer player. So from the outside looking in, I had it all. I had everybody who wanted to be around me. Everybody who wanted me in the environments that were perceived that I wanted to be in. Even when I got to college, I perceiving <laughs> from the outside perspective, I had everything. I was on the soccer team. I had teammates. I had coaches. I had a girlfriend and I had a lot of friends. And I have an English accent, which makes for great conversation. And at the same time, I was deeply alone. Deeply alone in my own mind. And the scariest part about it was everybody sees what's going on outside. And so nobody sees you and nobody cares to ask. And because of that, I made some decisions that I look at now and I've done the work to, to reflect on those decisions. And because of it, I do a lot of work with young men now to help them understand that. But because of that, the reason I relate so heavily to your son is because I made decisions that were deemed cool to fit in that I knew I didn't want to do. I cheated on my girlfriend. I became addicted to porn. Every time I went out, I would never have considered myself addicted to alcohol, but somebody described alcohol addiction to me as when the thing has more control over you than you have over it. And I went into environments in college where the alcohol had more control over me than I had over it because I didn't feel I could be myself in that environment. And looking back now, it's because I didn't think that I had a right to feel the way I felt because of what was happening externally. I'm an incredible athlete. I have a girlfriend. I have an amazing family who supports me. I have all the things that externally would make me seem as though I have every, everything figured out. And I don't know where to turn. And I don't know who to talk to. And I don't know who I can talk to because who is going to listen to me and give me the validation and the space that I'm looking for when I have everything. When I have everything. And so I relate heavily to your son because that's been the, one of the toughest parts of my upbringing was I'm a young, white, privileged male. I have a post about it on my Instagram. I'm a young, white, privileged male. And for a long time in my life, because it looked as though I had everything figured out, no one saw me. 
other than Billy the athlete. And finally, I got to the place in college where I wasn't playing as much as I wanted. And that was the first time I realized that my entire life, who I was, had been wrapped in my, the validation I'd been receiving in my sport. And so that's where the work began for me, was at that place. But I relate heavily to your son's perspective. I know that this is you interviewing me, but you got me so curious. Um, and this is a quick question, but what would have made you felt seen, heard in the most authentic part of who you were beyond, you know, good grades and the girlfriend and, and soccer? Like what could have been like a pivoting moment that you're like, wow, maybe there's more to me than this or somebody saw something in me? I needed somebody to sit me down, cultivate a safe space and ask me what I want. Because no one asked me. And when I didn't feel like I was being asked what I want, I was always living a life according to what everybody else wanted for me. To go out, to play soccer, to hang out with those people, to go to that place. And no one asked me what I wanted. And I think just that question alone would have, and I'm even getting emotional as I'm saying it now, because I think that quit, that question alone would have unraveled me. Yeah, I can see that. Because if you're living within the identity that, number one, you get validation from, right? Even though maybe, it's, and it's not fully who you are, but it's like, well, everybody expects me to be this person. And then who am I without it? Um, but maybe some guidance around what it could have looked like without it or the person outside of those things. Exactly. I appreciate you sharing that. I appreciate you sharing. Head over to billygartonjr.com. Scroll down to the section that reads, are you looking for a place to figure it all out? Click on the button that reads count me in, fill out the information and a member of my team will be sure to reach out to get you involved in the You Choose Brotherhood. Boy, will this brotherhood change your life. Community and connection meets courageous conversation. Monthly mastermind calls, bi-monthly brotherhood check-ins, mini courses and answers to some of your life's greatest questions. We have it all in here. Head over to billygartonjr.com. Scroll down to the section that reads, are you looking for a place to figure it all out? Click on the button that reads, count me in, fill out the information and a member of my team will be sure to reach out. Super excited to see you there. And Larry, I think we're going to have to do this ep another episode here because <laughs> we have so much more to talk about and you're a beautiful storyteller and thank you for telling those stories because it allows me and I think that's the, the great thing about storytelling is it allows people to find themselves in their experience in relation to the story. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for being so honest, so open. Before we close this out, where can people find you and, and what do you have going on? Uh, well, you can find me over at the dadedge.com. Uh, That's the easiest place to connect with me. Um, everything is dad edge, even on IG. So the at the dad edge and YouTube, the, the dad edge. Anywhere you listen to podcasts is where you'll find us. Um, we're on every single channel, even Pandora Radio, iHeart Radio. Um, 
obviously Google Play and iTunes and all that good stuff. Uh, I can't even keep up with how many channels there are, but that's that's the best <laughs> place to find me is there. Beautiful. And you have a book coming out soon as well, yeah? I do. It's called The Pursuit of Legendary Fatherhood. Um, it will be out September 6th. I'm going to buy it for my dad, for sure. Awesome. And you guys, if you feel comfortable enough, the guys who are listening to speak to your dad, and you feel that this is something you could need, just send him a nudge. Just send him a nudge. Don't force him, but just send him a nudge. Larry, thank you so, so much. Everybody else, you know where to find me at Billy Garton Jr. Keep following, keep subscribing. I'm not even going to say the name of this podcast because we're in the potential rebrand at the moment. So I'm not going to say the name, but you will know when it's out. You will know when season two is is officially coming around. And thank you for tuning in and, and really listening deeply. And I hope you found yourself again today in, in the story of, of another man's experience. So thank you guys. I'll see you all soon. Thank you.